Well, one thing I have to say this morning is welcome, Jimmy. Yeah, that sounded good. I'm liking that. I enjoyed singing this last song together too, which was an affirmation of the crucial things, the essential things that we believe. And we are believing in a God who is our Father. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We're believing in a Lord that's returning to us. We're believing in the virgin birth, the Holy Scriptures, all of those things that we hold dear to our, uh, to our faith. And we were singing about those, and that's always a good thing to do and to uh, solidify those in our own minds. May is Missions Month. Here we are. And uh, this month, we are going to be focusing on God's work all around the world to make maturing disciples of Jesus. And we are, of course, participating in our role here in Edmonds, Washington. One year ago, we let you know that we had five key priorities, and we're going to be rehearsing those again during this Missions Month time together. And what's binding it all together this round, this theme, is we're called to love. And so that's what's going to be the unifying uh, idea that we're going to operate from today and in the coming weeks. I'm preaching today, obviously. Peter's up next week as our Director of Neighbors and Nations, and so you'll hear from him next week. Two weeks from now, or week three of our series, I'm really excited for this. Pastor Umut, all the way from Izmir, Turkey, is going to be with us and going to be talking to us a little bit about what's happening in Turkey and how we're participating now with churches that are being planted and expanding all over Turkey. So I'm really excited for that. Well, today we get started in this idea of being called to love, and I want to remember one of the Beatles' greatest hits. One of the Beatles' greatest hits is, all you need is love, dun dun da 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 all you need is love. Oh, yeah, get out the phones, here we are. Right? Remember that song? And here is a story that happened after that song. The band breaks apart, and John Lennon says about Paul McCartney, all he knows how to write is silly love songs. And that just, uh, just sticks in the back of Paul McCartney. It hurt to have his friend and a, you know, co-musician for so many years, John Lennon, say that about him. And so it caused him to do a little soul searching, and here is what Paul McCartney writes. He says, the fact is, deep down, people are very sentimental. If they watch a sentimental movie at home, they cry, but in public, they won't. We don't like to show our emotions. We tend to sneer at that. And in the same way, people may not admit to liking love songs, but that's really what they crave. And Paul McCartney wrote one of his biggest hits of all time, as a result of the words of John Lennon, which was meant to be a dig, but Paul McCartney turned that around, and this is the song that Paul McCartney wrote. It is this, or these are the lyrics for it. You think that people would have had enough of silly love songs? I look around me, I see that isn't so. Some people want to fill the world with silly love songs, and what's wrong with that? I'd like to know, because here I go again, I love you. And the song goes on with repeating how much I love you. And that is, you know, one of the greatest songs really of all time that Paul McCartney sings. 
If we were to try to measure or make a number of songs written around the world dealing with love, I'm not sure we could contain it in any kind of a record because it's such a common theme in music. Regardless of the variety or the style of music, love is this common theme. For country western, uh, I'm riding in my truck with my dog and I've lost my love. I mean, you know, that's going to be the theme. Many a country western song. You've got hip hop and maybe there's the passion around kind of an earthy brand of love. For opera, it's the kind of pain around a failed love. And so again and again and again, we see this played out. Love's a common word. Love is a common topic. Love is a common ideal across generations, across all uh, peoples around the world. Love is this central idea of really society. And so you, you would not be surprised in the least to come to church today and to hear that we're called to be a loving people. I mean, that, that would be, right, Pastor? Been, been around the block a few times. I know that's probably what you're going to say. And so there's no new news in that. But here might be the more difficult notion. If we're called to love and it's held up as such a high ideal, even in our faith, the question might be, why aren't we better at it? When we fail to love in the way that God wants for us or has called us to, then, you know, what's going on with that? And, and here's a bigger question, maybe around Missions Month. If it happens that we need to have love in order to make maturing disciples around the world, what happens if we have a flame out of love and we don't exemplify that? Or what happens if, for instance, love is like a flat tire that's going down the road? It's going to inhibit our ability to participate with God around the world in missions. Well, today I want to pick up this topic of love. And I want to pick up with uh, the source of our love. The, you might call it the genesis of our love. And I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, either in your paper Bibles or perhaps in your digital Bibles on your phone. 1 John chapter 4. Let me give you a heads up of where we're going. John, one of the disciples of Jesus, in fact, part of the inner core, uh, James, Peter, and John were the guys that were on the inside, had the most time with Jesus. John, one of them. John writes the gospel of John that we have in the scriptures. He writes three epistles or letters to the churches, so 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And this is the same guy that writes the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, so, you know, this is a guy that knows Jesus well, knows the faith well, knows about the formation of the church, and he's going to write the longest section he's ever written on this topic of love, this topic of the kind of love that's been given to us and the kind of love that we're to be expressing to each other and the world. He writes that here in 1 John chapter 4, and so we're picking up in verse 7. This is the way that the Lord writes it through John the Apostle. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he's loved us 
and sent his son to be the propitiation, or some translations say, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. (laughs) No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we've seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also we are in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we, and this command we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Father, uh, we have just read one of the classic passages in the Bible about love. And as we enter into this missions month together and explore how we are called to love, we pray it would begin right here in this passage of us understanding the nature and the quality of love you've given to us. Uh, It's here in the scriptures. Open our ears now. Let us hear well what it is you want to plant on the inside of us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. The first aspect, again, of, uh, of love is, again, understanding this love that's been given to us. And that's what this passage is about. The understanding of what God has done in, inside of us first, and then the kind of love that he's wanting to express coming out of us. And those two always go hand in hand. There's an old saying, it's uh, for computer scientists, and it's called garbage in, garbage out. And what that means is if you are making a computer program and you have garbage as the database that's fed into it, well, then you're going to get garbage back out of it. You can't feed something into something and hope that a different result happens other than what you fed into it. And so again, this idea that we have to have the right things coming into us to have the right things going out of, to us, out of us is what garbage in and garbage out really means. If we have a faulty view of God's love, then it means that That's maybe what's to blame for the the less than perfect way that we are expressing love to others. Garbage in, garbage out. If we don't understand God's love, then we aren't going to display God's love. Another way to say this might be, you are what you eat. And if you are constantly filling yourself with junk food, you're not going to be able to operate at your optimal capacity. What your diet is reflects again the way that your body is able to respond and operate. And so we are what we eat. If you were going to get ready to run a marathon, you could not go fill your diet with Coke and potato chips. That's not going to cut it. And speaking of, again, running, somebody I want to acknowledge today, it's one of our very own, Debbie Vesey ran the Boston Marathon. And I have a picture of Debbie right here. 
I think I have a picture of Debbie. There she is right there. And Debbie Vesey ran the Boston Marathon. And I happened to talk to her a little bit about uh, the whole experience. It was a great experience for her. By the way, it's not just anybody that gets to do this. You have to qualify to run the Boston Marathon. So our sister's very fast. And uh, one of the things she talked about was the meal that she ate the day before that she ran the marathon. And by the way, I think she's run 15 of them now, so she knows how to do these things. But uh, anyway, she was telling me about what she ate. I can tell you it wasn't Coke and chips, all right? She, her body needed a lot more fuel than what, uh, what that would have provided for her. If you eat faulty uh, doctrine, then you're going to give out faulty doctrine. If you eat faulty issues related to God's love, or if you have a bad view of God's love, then you're not going to live out the kind of love that God wants you to have. The fulfillment of our mission relies upon our right view of God's love. If we're going to exercise love well, we have to have the right view of that. And so I want to speak to you today about how God's love sparks our love, how God's love sparks our love, and specifically as we relate that to the world of missions. As we want to be a church that exercises missions well, God's love is a starting spot for us, and it's got to correspond to the kind of love that we are giving out. God's love sparks our love. Let me talk to you about four ways that that happens or four uh, instances that we need to understand in order to be able to practice that. The first aspect of God's love and that's sparked inside of us is God is love and has loved us. I know that sounds very uh, uh, simple and very familiar, but let's explore that together for just a few minutes. God is love and has loved us. And so we begin with the character quality of God, which is God is love. It's one of the most important things that we might know about God. Everything God has ever done has been characterized by love. God can't do anything other than love. And by definition, every action of God is a loving action. Uh, That leaves us with something, though, that we have to beware. We are able to say God is love, but on the other hand, we can't flip that little sentence around and say love is God. That's something that our world would want us to uh, mistake, and they would want to flip that on its head and say every time we can see an instance of love, then that is obviously God. No, not true. God is always doing loving things, but we can't flip that onto its head, and every time a human expresses love, that's not necessarily the equivalent of God. Uh, I love what J.I. Packer, he's one of my favorite uh, theologians of all time, a deep guy, died just recently. And this is the quote that he has about this passage. St. John's twice repeated statement, God is love, is one of the most tremendous utterances in the Bible and also one of the most misunderstood. False ideas have grown up around it like a hedge of thorns, hiding its real meaning from view. And it is no small task cutting through this tangle of mental undergrowth. Amen, J.I. Packer. This passage can be misunderstood many times over. And so we have to understand, again, something about God here. God is not just love. God has many other character qualities that are related to him. God is just, for instance. God does everything perfectly. God is righteous. God is pure. God is merciful. God is gracious. And so love is one aspect of the character of God, but not the total aspect of the character of God. And this is the one reason why God says, make no idols, make no images of me, make no idols. 
Because why? Your hands cannot contain all that I am. You could never make the right representation of who I am. And so beware of trying to boil me down into one little essence that you can get your arms around. That won't do. And so God is love. We affirm that. And we affirm that he's loved us. But that's not the sum total of who God is. Well, let's explore again this one aspect of God. God is love. And it's demonstrated us to us in two different ways in this passage. The two different ways, the first one is we are chosen. We are chosen by God and we are chosen to be born of God, the passage says. And so again, anybody here who knows Jesus today, you can count on this. You have been chosen by God. He has said, I wish for you to be a part of my family. And he's given you of himself, being, made you being born from above. There's nobody that can enter heaven, God tells, or Jesus tells Nicodemus, unless they're born from above. And so you can count on the fact that you've been chosen and born from above if you're a follower of Jesus. You haven't been loved because you are so lovely. None of you are. I like all of you. But none of you are so lovely as if God says, I chose you because out of all of them, you look the best to me. No, that, that's not what's going on here. God has not loved you because you're valuable. You're valuable because you're loved. Did you get that? You, you, you're, you, you're not chosen and, and, you, and you're so lovely because, well, you know, you're so good. God has said, I'm actually making you lovely and I'm making you valuable because I have chosen you. In other words, God's not for you because you were the best horse in the field. I watched a little bit of the Kentucky Derby yesterday, and a surprising horse kind of won that. And God's not saying, you know what? I knew you were going to win the race. That's why I chose you. God says this, I knew you were going to lose the race, and so I chose you. And so that's my motivation is I'm making you valuable because of who you are to me, because I've chosen you to be my own. I love this story this by Mary Ann Bird. And Marianne Bird remembers her own childhood, and this is the way that she talks about being in school. She says, I grew up knowing I was different, and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate, and when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to others. A little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. When schoolmates asked, what happened to your lip? I'd tell them I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to actually have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside my family could ever love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade whom we all adored, Mrs. Leonard. She was short, round, happy. She was a sparkling lady. Actually, we had a hearing test every year. Mrs. Leonard was the one that gave the test to the whole class, and it finally was my turn. I knew from past years that we stood against the door and covered one ear. The teacher sitting at the desk would whisper something, and we would have to repeat it back to, to her. Things like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? I waited there for the words that God must have put into Mrs. Leonard's mouth because it was going to be repeated back from me to her. And this is what she whispered. I wish you were my little girl. God says to every person deformed by sin, I wish you were my son. I wish you were my daughter. 
God's love first demonstrated to us is that, like Mrs. Bird here, or the little girl Miss Bird here, uh, that we are told by God, I wish for you to be my son or my daughter. I am choosing you. And this is a wonderful thing, not because we're such good people, but because God is such a good God, and this is the way that he operates. God's love is given to us as a form of his acceptance of us, his choosing of us, and it's also given to us by form of his sacrifice to us. Again, I read that he is a propitiation for our sins or an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He's gone and done the hard work. He sacrificed for us. He's lived a perfect life. He's paid for our sin. He's done that difficult work because he loves us so much, and he's called to be a sacrifice on our behalf. All right, we got to start off again with God's loved us and he's given his love to us and we never can graduate from that and we can never give the right love unless we're understanding that is the bedrock, that is the foundation. And so that's where John starts, that's where we need to start and we need to repeat that to ourselves over and over and over again. All right, second, being loved, we are called to love. So if we are loved people, we are called to give that love to others And there should be a natural outflow of love that comes from us when we're properly connected to God. He says it this way, we abide in God when we abide in love, and we abide in love when we abide in God. Both of those are working simultaneously. And what does he mean by abide? I know that's kind of a religious word. He means remain. Anytime we're remaining in God, we're remaining following God, we're remaining in dependence upon God, that's a good thing. And the same thing is happening when we are continuing in with love with others. And we are called to have both of those things that are abiding in our lives all of the time. And there is a natural result here. When we feel love, there is an outpouring of love that comes from our lives. I took my family, uh, Denise and I took our family years ago when kids were in elementary school to Hoover Dam. Raise your hand. You ever been to Hoover, Hoover Dam? Ah, uh, third of you. Two-thirds of you need to make your way there. It's, it's quite a sight. A huge dam, and back in the day, we even got to go down into it. I don't think you can still do that today. But anyway, it was, it's, it's a sight to see. I mean, it's huge. And one of the things that we did was we learned all about the formation of Hoover Dam. For instance, did you know that it took five years to finish Hoover, Hoover Dam? And that was ahead of schedule by almost a year and even ahead of budget. And so you don't ever hear that happening anymore. That, you know, that was kind of a, a novelty. 21,000 men built uh, Hoover Dam and women. Uh, 3.25 million cubic yards of concrete was poured into Hoover Dam. And by the way, just for some perspective, that would be a, a strip of concrete 11 feet wide from San Francisco to New York. I mean, there's a lot of concrete that's poured into Hoover Dam, truck after truck after truck. Uh, over the dam is a, a place, again, that uh, is a turbine, and so all the water's kind of rushing and falling down into the turbines and creating electricity for a whole broad grid of states. And it is just awesome that it is, was built in 1936, and guess how long it took to fill Hoover Dam? It took six and a half years of the mighty Colorado flowing and creating Lake Mead into Hoover Dam. Again, that's just amazing to think about that much water that it is holding back and that it's operating from to give irrigation, electricity, and everything else out. Here's why I raise that with you. 
It is like God's love to be the Colorado River that's pouring into you. And you are charged again to let this pour into you and let it come out of you. And you cannot help but love if you understand the nature of God's love and understand what's being poured into you, the tremendous uh, volume of love that God continues to have for you. And so again, maybe at this point, it's good for us to remember what really love is. What do we mean when we say love? Love is not the equivalence of today's love, uh, or at least in our world, of merely acceptance. That's not what God means when he says, I've given you my love. That would be the, uh, the, 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 the world's way of saying again today that we are giving acceptance to everybody. We're letting everybody do whatever they want. We're never calling into question anything that they do under further scrutiny. And, you know, I have one way to explain that to you very quickly that I think helps us understand the error of that idea of saying love is always acceptance. If you're a parent and you have a little child and the child says, I want to go out on the highway. I want to go out where the cars are, Daddy. And you say, well, you know, hey, I, I don't, that's not a good idea, but I really want to. In fact, I've looked over there. I've seen those cars. I, I'm, I'm enthralled by the, the highway, and I'm going to throw a fit even if I don't get to go out there. Would it be loving of me as a father to say, well, you want that so badly. Let me just let you go do it. No, no. Any right parent says, you're going to have to trust me on this. This is not best for you. I do not want you to be injured, and so don't run out onto the highway, and that's what it would mean to be a loving parent in this instance is actually to say, I'm, I'm going to be a parent and I'm going to have some boundaries for you and I don't want you to do that. You know where I'm, of course, going with this. Uh, our world today has a very different definition of love than what God explains in the scriptures. And I've got something that is recurring over and over and over again in our society today. It's this sign. And uh, you, you've probably seen it around. You've seen it on the internet. You've even seen it, you know, in, in, in some in shops and some, in some locations, perhaps in Seattle. Love is love. And what they are saying to us is that uh, love at its core is the acceptance of whatever anybody wants to do. And, of course, if I were to say, hmm, I, I'm not sure that's what God believes is the best for society, that would be viewed not as a loving statement, I can tell you. And if you said that, you would be categorized very quickly as a hater. And here's what I want you to hear. And this, this is really, really important. So tune in right here. We cannot let the world define for us what really love is. We always have to go back to the scriptures and we have to go back to God. God is the one who gets to define love. I can't define love. You can't define love. God is the one who gets to define love, and I don't mean in gender circles. I mean love in general. What is loving? God is the one who gets to have the verdict on that, the plumb line on that, and that can't be something that we simply make up societally. It's something that God, again, is the one that holds the trump cards on that, and we're the ones that march to his drum. When we are demonstrating and coming out with what is loving in our world today, uh, in, in our actions, he's the one that gets to define that. Let me give you an example of that. It is probably not considered a loving thing today necessarily when you are coming and sharing the gospel with somebody else, especially when you consider around the world where it's forbidden. And we would be individuals that we have to follow the love of God, which calls us to be vocal about his love, even when it's in an instance in which, well, people are gonna say, that's not very loving, I don't like that. 
we're following the direction of God as love more than we are the definition of our world in love. All right, we are called to give love because we've received love. Number three, our love is for the world that we can see and it proves our love for God whom we cannot see. And so again, what John is saying to us here is, in order to really love, we've got to respond to the real needs, the real people, the real problems, the real tragedies that are around us all right now. And we can't pretend that we love God and look past the individuals that have these glaring needs, these really important needs that are right in front of us. I want to talk a little bit about Turkey because we're going to do that over the course of this month together. And I have a picture here of the recovery efforts in Turkey. And this is one of the uh, posters that's across the street that I hope you get a chance to see during the course of this month. And you can see that they're uh, just trying to recover bodies and, and, and live people from this you know, broken down apartment complex and all the people are there. And I mean, there is a gigantic effort in trying to recover again from the results of this, uh, of this earthquake. I'm bringing this up because you did something very good in the midst of this. And you gave $30,000 as a church towards the relief efforts in Turkey through the individuals that we're going to have uh, even with us three weeks, uh, week three, two weeks from now, Pastor Umut. And so again, you did a very good thing. And here's what John would say. You cared for individuals you could see, and this proved your love for God whom you cannot see. And God says, that is a great thing. That is proving love every time we are paying attention to the response of, of real individuals that are in front of us. Uh, you are doing that every time you are caring for, for instance, individual at Jacob's Well. Every time you're loving families that are coming out of homelessness that you can see, you're proving your love for God that you cannot see. Every time you're talking to an individual who does not know the Lord yet, you're befriending them, you're taking interest in their lives, you're caring for an individual you can see, so that you are proving your love for God you cannot see. An international student taking the time to simply help them learn English, you're caring for somebody you can see, so that you're proving your love for God you cannot see. And I could go on and on and on. That's what God says it means to live in love, is to care for the things right around us, the people right around us, that have real needs that we can see. All right, there's one more thing I want you to see, fourth and finally, God's love casts out fear. And John links the idea of living in love and therefore no longer feeling as though you're under judgment, no longer feeling as though you're under punishment, and even evokes the idea of the end of all times when all of our uh, actions are weighed before God. And he says, you know, that's something, again, that love overcomes. You know, what it feels like as a child when you've disobeyed your parents, and you're like, woo, when mom and dad find out about that, am I gonna be in trouble? Am I perhaps gonna get a spanking or I'm gonna be punished or I'm gonna lose a, a reward of some kind or a privilege uh, when mom and dad find out? And John says that when you are living in love, you're no longer living under that kind of oppression because we know that God is so good and God has forgiven those things that we have done and he's charted a new course for us. So it's not as if he's just left us on the course, but he's saying, I wanna forgive that. I'm gonna create some new channel within you so that you're actually responding in love and you're responding to my call upon your life. And so again, we are able to walk into our world with a whole lot of confidence when we don't have any fear over us any longer. When God's for us, who can stand against us? 
And that means that we will go into difficult places, we'll tackle difficult uh, instances, all because we're no longer filled with fear. That's not what controls us anymore. And we are involved in spots around the world where, believe me, they're not easy places. It's not easy to go to Nicaragua today. It's a land filled with a, a, you know, a lot of poverty. And it's a land filled with a government. It's a little unstable. Turkey is no simple place to be today. Uh, while we were there in November, there was a bombing while we were there. Of course, it wasn't a place where we were at that moment, it was, but it was a, a tourist spot. And again, we had all kinds of people that texted us, are you okay? You know, yeah, we are. But I'm not telling you that the world is an easy place to go and love. It's not. It's a place that's often filled, that's dangerous. There are actually missionaries who can get kidnapped. It's easy to get sick around the world. And again, there's dangers around that. But again, we are individuals who because we are now motivated by love and love overcomes our fear, we're willing to go. We're willing to make those sacrifices. And that's what it's going to take in order to take the love of God throughout the entire world. All right. If we have any chance of loving in this world, any chance of taking the message of Jesus all over the world, we've got to be anchored down in God's love for us. We have to understand the depth of his love for us. God's love sparks our love as it relates again to the world. Our love for the world is starting because God has so fallen in love with us and given his love so freely to us. And that's what motivates us to go and be involved around the world. I have a final quote I want to give you today from Peter Kuzmich. Peter Kuzmich was the, uh, the pro uh, professor of missions at Gordon-Conwell Seminary. He was installed in the middle 90s, and he was from Croatia. And when he was installed, he gave a speech about the world and about his installation. And this is what he said. He said, we're challenged today with the question, what has Boston to do with Bosnia? Why should we concern ourselves with the human tragedies of Bosnia, Somalia, or Bangladesh? And again, in those days when he was speaking, those were the hot places. Today we might substitute those and we might say, what do we care about the Ukraine or Afghanistan or North Korea? And so the question is, what does Bosnia have to do with Boston? I mean, what are the connection between those two? Why should the Holocaust taking place in Rwanda touch our lives when it's obvious that the sovereign Lord has placed us here in this secure place away from the dangers and other winds of adversity? Should we worry about restoring democracy to Haiti, ask questions about human rights in China, or be concerned about the plight of Cuban immigrants? Why should we burden ourselves with the burdens of the world and allow ourselves to be disturbed by statistics of war, disease, and poverty? Why should the turmoils of the world disrupt the tranquility of our hearts and the surroundings? May I suggest that there's only one compelling reason and this is it. God so loved the world. <laughs> it's that simple. We care about the world because God cares about the world. And we have to be individuals that so abide and so understand and so live in God's love that we cannot help but love a world that he's died for. Lord, we are before you as your people that are rich and wealthy people, mainly because you've chosen us 
and you've given us of your son. You've given us forgiveness. You've poured out and demonstrated your love by sacrificing yourself on our behalf. And Lord, we want that to grow on the inside of us. And we want it to grow so big that we are individuals that are willing to love those around us, especially those who don't know you yet, especially those that are in travail around the world, those that are suffering around the world. We wish to be so sparked by your love that it makes a difference and we act upon the love that you've placed on the inside of us. Quicken us as a church. During the course of this month, let everybody who calls CCF their home church learn some new aspect of a way to love our world uh, on behalf of you. Let us be your hands and feet today. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.